We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back, score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch, or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding and check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. To the Rotowire NBA podcast, Nick Whalen and DJ Trainer here on Wednesday, December 28th. It's been, I think, a full week since we've recorded a podcast. So we're back. We're still alive after the holidays. You made it to Oklahoma and back unscathed. I made it to Iowa and back completely unscathed. Uh, how was your Christmas on a scale of 1 to 10? How would you rate it? I would rate it as a solid 8. Um, You know, I'm a realist, so I'm not going to say it was the best Christmas of all time. Um, But, you know, I had a good time. It was 70 degrees at one point on Christmas Day and the day after Christmas in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, It rained and snowed basically the whole time that I was in Iowa. Yeah, that's fair. Pretty bleak. Um, Did you get any cool gifts? I got lots of great gifts. I got Let's fantastic gifts. Um, what did I get? You know, I asked for like food stuff, so like specialty foods, so some good butter, some good coffees, and stuff like that. Butter? I don't really need like toys you got or butter. Tech- yeah, it's like a spe- it's from Trader Joe's, who does not sponsor this podcast. They do like some Christmas future sponsor, something like that. I don't know. I haven't dug into it yet, but uh, uh, I asked. I'm at the I'm at the age where I just ask for stuff to help me cook. 
Okay. So that's fair. Yeah. I inadvertently got a couple of cooking things, even though I very rarely cook. I shouldn't even say like I never cook. <laughs> but I got all these like really nice spices from my aunt, which you know I appreciate. It's just like I'm not gonna use these. I'm not cooking meat. I have uh, two spice racks. Last year, I asked for spices, oh. and I got two spice racks. You would think that I would return one of them, yeah. but I have two spice racks in my kitchen. I guess, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a food That's, guy. Yeah, you're a, a real foodie. Um, yeah, you're like you said, I mean, we're at the age where, like, like, my parents, especially my mom, like, will not give me money or gift cards yeah. or anything. Like, she just, like, is relentless. Like, even if I tell her, like, please, like, I, I would like money to buy this item. And she's just like, no, like, I'm buying you gifts. Like, she needs to, like, have the, the satisfaction of me opening something. So I my mom is a big, like, we have to fill out the Christmas tree. So she'll, yeah, like, wrap a tube of toothpaste and then wrap something completely, like a separate toothbrush, right. you know, uh, just to have it stocked in, like, mm-hmm. a nice Christmas uh, nice Christmas just tree mom, filled out with presents. Just mom stuff. Just, mom, just yeah. typical mom stuff. Yeah, I, I didn't really get any, like, crazy noteworthy gifts. I did get a new set of, of tailor-made irons, which were Whoa, a great idea that's for a my great dad. Gift. Not something I asked for, but as soon as I opened them, I'm like, wow, I actually need these. This is probably – so that's one of the top five gifts I've probably ever gotten, um, which maybe says a lot about other gifts <laughs> that I've gotten throughout the years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of past the point of even – really caring about gifts you know that peaks in like you know fifth sixth grade i never thought this would happen um and we'll i promise we'll talk about the nba at some point yeah who knows uh i actually like giving gifts more than receiving gifts now it's wild imagine if you like your future self would have told you that when you were in like elementary school i know yeah right i got my mom had a 19 inch flat screen tv which is super tiny it's it's smaller than this computer the computers we have in front of us and so i bought her a 32 inch tv and i was like so happy like i i I remember getting my mom tv that tv but i don't really remember what i got so i I, we're at we're at a weird point in our lives right now food stuff in return and giving stuff is really important to us my dad is very strict like don't don't give me any gifts. That, that's, my, that's my dad impression. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm gonna get you something because you got me some nice things. Like, I'm like, well, I've been looking. You know what you really need? Like, he's like kind of redoing our living room, and like he has, you know, he's in the process of getting a new TV. So I'm like, how about you, how about a sound bar? You know, you listen oh, to music nice. every now and then. That sounds so great. There's a lot of nice ones on sale. Uh, and as soon as I brought that up, he's like, well, yeah, I mean. I mean, I guess, you know, if you want to give me a soundboard. Like, all right, so you went from I don't need anything, you better not get me anything, to go get this soundbar. This is the one I want from Best Buy. Two hours later, we had it. So it was a good Christmas all around. All right, here's the transition to NBA for those of you who are waiting for it. Did you get any NBA Christmas jerseys? Because I know, uh, as all our listeners would know by now, that you're a huge NBA Christmas guy. Okay. Did you get any of those bad boys? Not uh, right away, but... Um, Got a, got a nice little bonus from you know from RotoWire as as all of our employees do, um, and I was you, you know, I, right wait, away. Wait, you got a bonus? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I didn't. No, um, you know, got a, a couple mil, you know, just a right. a little fraction of what we make full yeah. time. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I, I splurged a little bit. I haven't bought a jersey in a really long time, um, but that changed yesterday morning. Okay, when I actually bought three jerseys as well as a pair of shorts. Wow, from an offshore website, so it didn't. It's not like I'm dropping a lot of money. Out. All right, so it, was like, it was like eighty bucks combined. All right, fill us in. So, Rasheed Wallace, North Carolina. Oh, you've been talking Sheed up for a while. No, well, see, I really want a Sheed Blazers, but you yeah, just, you cannot find those unless you're willing to customize it, which I'm not. LeBron, 
uh, orange calves. So like those ones that they wore a couple a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, over the weekend, Gary Payton Sonics red. Okay, I have a Gary Payton green. Like the kind of like the mid '90s version, or like mm. the arch version. No, it was, it's mid '90s, I think. Okay. So I because because like I have a KD rookie arch version, and yeah. I like that one a lot. But the yeah. the the Gary Payton was like before Those that. Those are just cool jerseys. Like I would have bought it with any name on it. Right. It just happened to be Gary Payton. Uh, and then I got some Cavaliers shorts, uh, black the black edition. So like the Game Seven Finals. Okay, so no Christmas jerseys. No, I just purchased them for myself. You know, using some of the money I got for, from Christmas. Gotcha. That's a nice. I mean, so d- what's your what is that going to bring your total up to for jerseys? Because I mean, we, if anybody caught the Chris Fedor podcast, I believe, or, or many other podcasts, you have nine Tracy McGrady jerseys. So I can only imagine right. what your total is. LeBron James jerseys must be creeping up towards nine. No, this this will this is going to shock you. This will only be my fifth LeBron jersey. I am shocked by um, that. And what two of those are like? You know, kids' jerseys from when I was little, so I don't know if those really count. Uh, but no, I don't. I haven't counted, including football jerseys. It's got it's easily forty plus. I don't know. I'll, I'll have to do a, a count. And I guess with those Jags jerseys I just got, it might be creeping towards fifty. Let me ask you. Um, obviously, every team that played on Christmas had the Christmas jerseys. Which teams have better Christmas jerseys than regular season jerseys? That is an awesome question. I you knew I would want to address this. Yes. Um, not you know maybe not this question specifically, but we we're going to talk about all the Christmas jerseys. The T Wolves, I think, look the best. Those were awesome, and their normal jerseys, eh, they're a little little bit busy for my liking. So they they had the best Christmas jerseys, and they were better than the regular. The Cavs. Like the Cavs have so many cool alternates that it kind of offsets how like how bland like their normal red and normal yellow ones are. Even those navy ones, I don't love that much. So I I think their Christmas ones were nice. The Warriors were okay. Um, I didn't I don't know what was the the like, kind of stripe that they had. On Warriors. The, yeah, there were each each player it was it was like a you know in remembrance type of thing. Oh, that's I'm right. I'm sure they said I was watching with the sound off at at my aunt's house, but I. I'm sure they addressed it. There was yeah. there was more sound off basketball on Christmas Day than any other day for the rest right. of the season. At least I hope. Yeah, yeah I, I mean it was a complete. It was just a bloodbath all all weekend <laughs> trying to watch sports and get rid of these like Christmas movies. Like we've all seen Elf like forty times. Do we need to watch it again? No. I okay. I will say I I agree. Elf is a great movie, but how many times can you watch it in in a span of a Christmas season? Maybe. For some reason, the maroon and gold on the Cavaliers that cursive font looks really good in that they, they, in that they color were all scheme. Nice. They were clean. Like these are the best the best effort I think the NBA has put forth for the Christmas jerseys uh, to date. So yeah, I, I think I'm gonna stick with the T Wolves. I, I liked them all really. The Knicks were cool, but like if you're mellow and you're Porzingis, I know you they wear those shoulder those undershirts for yeah. shoulder reasons. Make them the same color as the jersey. It's all, I hate that. They do that every game. It's almost like it's on purpose. Like, all right, we're wearing the blue jerseys. All right, I'm going to wear my white undershirt. White jersey, all right, I'm going to wear my blue undershirt. Like, that looks terrible. Yeah, I, I don't mind it. You know, back when you used to customize, like, make your own player on eSports or something like that, I would always throw in as many of the same three-color scheme as you could. I would always switch it up just to show, like, oh, I got extra gear here. Like, they get, the fact that you have gear, like, yeah. in, in, in any version or any color, I, I, I mm-hmm. think it's it's cool to switch up the colors. But I, I know what you're saying. All right. So let's talk basketball. Uh, uh, I let's, Should we? We'll put a disclaimer in there in the, in the write-up. Like, you can just skip ahead to this point in the podcast right. if you don't want to hear the Christmas banter. Uh, but yeah, the first thing I have on our little plan here, uniforms, A+, plus. thought they were great. Um, but let's talk Warriors-Cavs. Knicks-Celtics was fun. It was a, a nice start to the day. Um, Celtics led that game for like 
you know, 95%. And then the Knicks made a nice late run. Um, Mello, <laughs> just an egregious turnover that basically lost the Knicks the game. But we'll get to that. Warriors-Cavs. So the Warriors are up 14. Um, mid, to, you know, I guess we can say early in the fourth quarter. Um, this didn't, to me, quite feel like a collapse. You know, I feel like that word is a little too strong, uh, partially because when they went up 14, you know, it's not like they were leading the entire game and he felt like Cleveland was just, you know, hanging on by a thread. Like, it was really close. LeBron leaves the game to rest, uh, and then the Warriors go on a quick run, and that's when it maybe started to feel a little bit out of reach for Cleveland. But basically, as soon as LeBron reentered the game, it felt like Cleveland was right back. Uh, and it wasn't even necessarily LeBron himself who brought them back. I mean, he made some big plays, but it was Kyrie who was awesome in the fourth quarter after being pretty average for most of the game. Um, and then, of course, you know, if you're listening to this by now, you've probably seen the replay a hundred times of Kyrie hitting yet another really, 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 really tough shot over a defender who's at least four inches taller than him uh, to basically win the Cavs the game. Durant falling down. I thought he got fouled in real time. The more Every time I watch it, it looks like he got fouled. The league says he got fouled. I think the Cavs bench, there's some angles that you could see where they were even kind of like, what are you doing? Like, why are you this close to him? I think they thought it was going to be called. So kind of a weird way. Like, honestly, as a as a fan or, you know, as an observer, you kind of want, like, I wanted to see, like, what are the Warriors going to do? Like, you want to at least get a shot off. So that was kind of a weird way to end it uh, with KD just falling down and the ball rolling until time ran out. Well, it was interesting. And my dad, who's a casual NBA fan, was just, like, railing about this. He's like, he still almost made the shot. Why didn't Jefferson guard him on the shot off the ground? <laughs> and I was like, ah, all right, all right. Durant <laughs> hits, hits, hits it from his butt. Well the, well, the funny thing is he did have a wide-open butt shot. And, I, you know, if anybody's going to make – NBA players are pretty savvy with that kind of stuff. Right. Like, you, kill, you still kind of do need to guard him. Jefferson yeah. started to run away. And my dad definitely had a valid point on – you know, Katie can hit a shot from his butt from beyond the arc. I'm just saying no. it, oh, it could sure. happen. I mean, it's... But you know what? When I watched that playback, I was somewhat surprised to see that the league um, called that a foul because, I, I mean, the inside of Jefferson's knee really caused Durant to fall down. And and it looks like, like Durant legitimately stumbled, but I don't know if he – like, I, I'm kind of on that did he embellish it to try to draw I mean, the foul type I of thing because so. how hard can somebody hit somebody else on, with the inside of their knee or the inside of their thigh – uh, to really just like completely impede that that yeah a professional I, athlete from walking it was I, tough I don't to know see. yeah I do, I do wonder if if it was more of like a trip because I mean it looked like it looked unintentional so like you know watching in real time it was like it wasn't this egregious like no you know I, I don't think you like felt guilty like if you're a, if you're a Cavs fan you weren't like oh man we got lucky they didn't call that it was you know in some ways I guess he did but it, it didn't feel like I don't think I don't think the Warriors were upset you know like there was no complaining really after the game I think they knew. That's not why they lost. They were pretty dejected about blowing that lead. Um, I know they had the Cavs had LeBron on Draymond for that final play, which makes sense. Um, well, that's what we talk about. You know, last year when we talk about how do you stop the Warriors? How do you stop the Warriors? Right. A lot of what I went to, and I think like over time you may have started to agree with me. It's like you stop it at the point of the attack at Draymond. So, so the fact that LeBron is on Draymond makes sense mm-hmm. to me, even though he's not necessarily the person you'd think would take the final shot. But if right. you can stop the person who's going to pass it to the guy who's going to take the right. final shot, well, then that makes sense to me. Well, what's interesting is LeBron starts the possession on Durant, gets back screened by Draymond, and then Jefferson takes a switch. But you can watch, like, the Cavs knew it was coming. You know, like, Jefferson at no point attempted to follow Draymond. Like, he was switching the whole way to KD, and you had to think the Cavs knew that. Um, but, yeah, we, I mean, we should talk about Curry. He's now averaging, like, 11 points per game on Christmas for his career. Um I don't really buy that, you know, there's some sort of, like, mental thing that he just doesn't like playing on Christmas. Uh, I think it's just kind of a coincidence. 
but this this was a weird game. This is for the first time, um, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this. This is the first time that there's like a slight, slight, slight concern about how this team fits. And I say that barely really meaning anything because they're still extremely, extremely good. And they have what five losses and they're averaging like 120 points. Like this is all relative uh, to, to the team that we're talking about here, but it was, this is, this felt like a hundred percent Kevin Durant's team for this entire game. It's tough to make Steph Curry look like kind of a secondary accessory piece, but that's kind of what he was for this game. And, and Steve Kerr even acknowledged it and said he needs to find ways to, to get Curry more involved. And I think for the first time, they're, they're finding that it's maybe a little bit tough in these type of games to, you know, to kind of wet the beak for everybody. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, he's had like somewhat of a down year, I suppose you could say, when you're coming off a year like he had last That's year. That's the other thing, too, is like I think he set the bar so crazy high that it looks like he's struggling when like he's just really Aver- good. Average over the course of his career, Curry, this is what Curry is. I mean, like, yeah. he had a couple of really flashy years, really great years. But if, if we're looking at the span of his career, let's not forget he had a few years before he caught fire and, right. and, and the coaching changes. Like, if we're talking about Mark Jackson, Steph Curry, this is kind of what he was, you know? And, and you'd have that right. flash, like, breakout game. But a 15-point per- performance on 4 of 11 shooting for the first good chunk of Curry's career was mm-hmm. – kind of expected to some degree so I'm not I'm not saying the world is on fire for Curry because you know what he had a couple good seasons and maybe we're just coming back down to reality and like reality is one of the best players in the world yeah and like this is just coming easy you know his usage rate is down four percent it's as low as it's been since 2012-13 I mean the three-point percentage is surprising I mean he's only shooting 40 percent I mean that's worse than love and Kyrie you know I guess if you want to look at it that way um but that's to me is just a little bit fluky it's you know whatever I think he I think he just set the bar too high and I also think people don't realize like when like if you would have asked me middle of last season like what's Steph Curry shooting from three like I would be like uh I don't know like 85 percent and then you look it's like oh he's you know he was hovering around like mid to low 40s for a lot of the year which is great but not otherworldly great like Courtney Lee's shooting like 50 percent from three right now um so I think if you if you're the Warriors you say like okay we maybe have somehow gotten like the minimum out of Steph right now, and we're still, you know, far and away the best team in the league. Wow! Yeah, I, I think that is certainly a, a way to look at. It. You can say the same thing about Clay Thompson as well. So, yeah, in some way, I mean, Clay was great. I thought in this game, just doing what he does as far as coming off screens and but, hitting threes. I mean, here's the here's the dumb cliche. But now that we finally have something to chew on with all these players playing in the same system and on the same team, there's only so many basketballs to go around, yep. and we knew things would suffer. I mean, you can't expect Curry to duplicate what he did last year when you bring in one of the one best one or two or three players. Uh, in the league. Um, and on top of that, I mean, at what point, and I think this, again, the NBA on Christmas Day is the unofficial start for the casual NBA fan, and people watching this game say, you know what? Oh, man, this is really Kevin Durant's team. It, but I, I, mean, I think you and is. I realized that, what, a, a few weeks ago at least? I mean, it didn't really take that long to realize, oh, Kevin Durant, you know, maybe he wanted to go there just to prove that he is one of the better players, and that a lot of players are saying, you know what, Seth Curry is good, but he's not one of the best players in the yeah. NBA. Kevin Durant goes there and he shows – Oh, he's, you know, perhaps a step above even Steph Curry, who we thought was untouchable just mm-hmm. 365 days ago. Yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, it's tough. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I Both it's, of these guys. It's Durant's team, right? Can we say that as of, as I of right Durant now? I think Durant sees that his team. I think, 
I think Curry overall is fine with that. Like everything he said would lead you to believe that. But then you hear, you know, like, you know, the whole like, you know, disappointing to not get the last shot, stuff like that. Like all of a sudden when you're in these type of situations, like it's all fun in games when, you know, Curry's got twenty at the half and you're up thirty five on the Kings. It's a little bit different in these situations. Every you know, all yeah. there's four guys on that team that want the ball down one on Christmas Day in Cleveland and only one of them can have it. And especially when it turns out like it did, where you know, it's not. I don't think Curry's like mad that Durant fell down and didn't get a real shot off. You know, I think he probably thinks it's a foul. But should he be mad that the play was not drawn up for him in the first place? Should he? Not necessarily. Can you understand it as the two-time defending unanimous MVP? Like, yeah, right. I mean, you can kind of see why. Uh, but at the same time, like Durant was was having a great game to that point. Well, Durant provides. I mean in terms of last second shot matchups, like he's always going to be the guy across the league right. that's going to get, because he's so tall, so athletic, the separation he gets. Curry is only 6'3", right? And so right. when you think about him actually getting off a good last second shot when your opposing defender is playing as good as they could possibly play, incredible motivation, right. it, it's you're going to give the ball to Durant. That just makes sense if you like look at it on paper. Exactly. And if you have Curry... Like, if you need a three, I think then you want the ball in Curry's hands. Or if you have maybe three more seconds, like Curry obviously can catch and shoot with the best of them. Um, but at the same time, against a really good Cleveland defense, you, you, you're not guaranteed. Like, you know, if, if Steph runs off his screen, catches, he can get it off in half a second, you know, no problem. But there might be a defender there. And then what? You know, like Durant's the guy who can get it off no matter what because he's seven feet tall and is a much better athlete. You know, we've seen it time and time again. Curry, I think, would prefer a little more time to set something up. And yeah. like with three seconds on the clock, you don't have time to, to shake a couple times and try to get somewhere. Well, and to that point, Clay Thompson gets the ball off much faster, not much faster, right. but faster than Curry does. It seems absolutely asinine to say this, but when it comes down to the end of a game and you need a quick three-pointer within three seconds, it might be KD, Clay, and Steph Curry. Right. Curry might be the third best option to get a late late in the game three-point Three. shot on this team. Right. It is it is insane. And yeah, I mean, if you want to say whose team it is, Durant took 23 shots and 12 free throws in 38 minutes. Curry took 11 shots and six free throws in 37 minutes. So Durant was operating like it was his team. Curry, you know, hit a, had a nice three on, a, I think, a pass from Durant with a little over a minute left that, that put Golden State up. Um, you know, and that's obviously such an advantage to have Steph Curry playing off the ball, which is, you know, just ridiculous. I mean, he'd be the best shooting guard in the league, you know, 10 times over. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at his seasonal stats, Steph Curry, that is. If you look at it, and again, you're just looking at it on paper. You're not looking at the flashy pull-up threes and all that. If you're looking at it on paper, one season, last season, was astronomical, right? But before that, it was just your your typical bell curve, getting better, getting better, and now he's about 28, and it's kind of about to slide back down. I mean, other than that, he he's going to have games when you're only averaging the the two years before last year he's averaging 24 points and basically 24 mm-hmm. points you're going to have games where again right. you go four for 11 and only shoot or only get you 15 points right. when you're averaging 15 per game so I, I think last year was worldly I hope we all appreciate it but guess what you know it's just not going to last right. yeah I, I mean Curry only has eight 30 point games through 30 games which it's still you know that's got to be top 10 in the league for sure uh, but he had eight 30-point games in his first 12 games last season. Um, and I, I don't think that's necessarily all that indicative. You know, like I didn't count how many times he had like 28 or 29. It was one more basket away or one more minute played away from getting there. You know, like who really knows? But it's, you know, the, the, the barrage type of performances 
haven't quite been there. I mean, he had like 53 points in game three of last season. And, you know, the usage just really hasn't been there to, to have performances like that. So I know you want to talk about Kyrie. How about let's do it this way? I, I tweeted out on Christmas Day when I was watching the game the order and of of who's the best on the court right now. And I came up with and I decided that Clay Thompson was the seventh best player on the court in this game. I had LeBron, KD, Steph, Draymond, Kyrie, Love, and Clay. And the guy for me is Kyrie that I had the most trouble um, inserting there. I have him after Draymond, before Love, meaning that Kyrie would be the fifth best player on well, the court in that game. You mean like just how they were playing for that game? Like if like you're start, like if you're like if you're starting your franchise, oh, okay. who would you want? Yeah. So LeBron's one. Uh, and, yeah. and like I don't know, you can really if you really want to pick semantics. Like if you're starting a franchise, maybe you would want Durant yeah because he's younger. Whatever. No, like if you're just LeBron is season, LeBron is a proven right. champion. Let's say KD is not. Yeah, you're playing season mode on NBA on 2K, and it's just a one season thing. LeBron's sure. one. There's a case to be made that the Warriors have the next four pretty easily. Yeah. Right. And I think on most nights, I would say that's the case. Like, you know, if you listen to the the latest True Hoop podcast, I don't want to you know track too much on what they said they did basically an entire podcast about Kyrie and where he fits in the hierarchy of the NBA it was really really interesting and and well well backed with a lot of facts um defensively he's like a bottom 15 player in terms of you know the metrics um which is just absurd and not all that surprising but you know when the, the analytics of that I guess are surprising just because of like how generally sound the Cavs are as a team like it's hard for one guy to be so so bad you know when like you have other really good defenders around you. Um, so that there's that. I mean, he's the worst defender of all those guys, and like that includes Kevin Love. And the, um, in terms of fantasy, uh, the Cavaliers give up top three most points to point guards, to opposing point guards, yeah. if you want to look at it from a fantasy perspective thing. as well. Right. Haberstroh brought up, um, he basically named off all of the the elite to, to kind of elite type of point guards, you know, so basically ranging from like Kemba up to CP, you know, there's there's a list of, 10 or 12 mm-hmm. and like Kyrie gives up the most points per possession of any of those guys by, by a pretty decent margin and that includes like Isaiah Thomas and like Rondo guys guys who are you know one five inches shorter than him one checks out for 80 percent of the games like it's kind of astounding like how bad he is on D uh so there's that I mean love is interesting just because he's been so good this year like he's you know like it's so interesting. We will probably be talking about this for years, like the hypothetical clay for love deal that like almost went down for a two week span. It seemed like a few years ago, you know, like how, how does how, things look so much differently in the NBA? Everybody was on board with shipping love out for clay Thompson. Well, this was, this was when love was still with the wolves. Right. 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 Yeah. And yeah. it's like, I, for the wolves, I think that would have been great. And like, who's to say it wouldn't work for the warriors. Like obviously clay has been great and it's hard to see them doing any better, but if the Cavs can find a way to use love and make them as effective as he's been, like you'd like to think the warriors could too. Well, you would think there'd be no death lineup, which means right, that Draymond green per- potentially wouldn't progress into this right. worldly power forward well, center the thing. Yeah. Like Draymond probably never even becomes that because he never gets the opportunity. Right, he like comes love off the there. bench behind Kevin love. You can't play love. Well, I mean those two Draymond with love at the four is interesting though. Like, Draymond as your small ball five, Love as like your kind of. But no, but back when when you have Kevin Love coming from the Timberwolves, right. nobody would even think of that. They would say Love at the five, yeah. Draymond at the four, like that's right. just what it would be. Love Love did play it center. Just, it and, seems like our analysis of like Kevin Love's defense has like progressed so much in the last four <laughs> or five years. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's if you want to rank those guys, like you said, I think like LeBron and KD have to be one two in some order. 
after that, you know, I think Steph is, is three. Just, I mean, well, the fact that you the fra- the fact that you phrased it like that and you set it up like that says a lot about this right. this Steph Curry discussion that we're having. That again, one good year, but is he a long lasting elite NBA player? I don't know. And in the next couple of seasons, they're going to do that where we might go back to the 2015 16 season and right. say that was a flash in well, the pan season, still one of the better players in the NBA, but he by no means was an elite. And everybody else, all the other players in the NBA, had been hinting at that and right. kind of said that. James Harden was the player MVP. I mean, there's a lot to suggest that maybe last year for Steph Curry yep. was atypical. Yeah, I mean, in, in a lot of ways it was historically. Um, and yeah, I do wonder, I, I do wonder around the league if there is that belief of like, if he wasn't in this like ideal situation for him basketball wise, you know, would he be as good? You know, so much is going to happen yet in his career and, you know, starting with this postseason, that like, I do wonder like, what is his perception historically right now? You know, like when you think of LeBron, you you know, like that is not a guy that you want to face in the finals. And like, that was proven this past year more than ever. And like there, you know, like magic, I think was like that bird was like that. Jordan obviously was like that. Like Curry right now is he is he going to be think thought of as like this guy that man like you don't want to be up against him because like he was pretty bad when they won two years ago he was yeah not very good at all when they lost last year like it's he has a really weird legacy he does I mean he hasn't shown up in the big games in the big series yeah, and that, whatnot but like but he kind of has though it's like obviously like him being on the court helps the team function yeah. you can you it's can like go you're not on leave him on. open like you don't feel right. good even if he hasn't shown up quote unquote for these big games like you wouldn't feel good about him having the ball down two, you know? Right. Well, like when KD went up against the Cavaliers and went out, like KD still balled out in those games. They didn't, you know, they got close because of him and they almost won because of him if he could have knocked right. down that eight-foot jumper coming from the side and, and all that stuff. It goes on and on. But I, I think you it's a valid, valid point. And a lot of the... You know, the lure of Steph Curry is he's a small guy mm-hmm. that a lot of kids can relate to. A lot of, you know, not people who didn't play basketball can relate to and say, wow, look at this, you know, quote unquote, little guy out there taking on these big guys in his own particular way. And again, you know, that that's why he's so marketable. But mm-hmm. when it comes down to winning NBA games, does it give him an advantage? No, heck no. He's not yeah. even taking this shot on his own team when they need a, a three-point shot. It's very – it's a weird – I mean, the, part of it is we've just never seen anything like this. Like, yeah. there's never been the last player to win an MVP besides Steph Curry joins, you know, the last MVP. Like, that just doesn't happen. So, like, there's this is really – this is basically uncharted territory as far as you – know, there, there's been two superstars on teams before. But, like, you could – like, these are arguably two of the top, like, 15 players ever. It could be when we're all – when it's all said and done or at least – two of the probably is it debatable at all to say these are two of the 10 most like transcendent talents we'll say like even of the last 20 years for sure ever i don't know like there's a case to be made that both those guys are up there yeah i hate to get wrapped up too much into the, this like is Bill the Simmons. yeah this is you know the go pull out the goat emoji right. too much here you uh, Steph Curry would fit as the celtics yeah <laughs> You think the the Celtics could swing a trade for Steph Curry and Clay? Blah, blah, well, they got yeah, the yeah. Amir Johnson contract, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I l- absolutely love Bill Simmons, but when it comes to Celtics stuff, he just has blinders on for it's some funny, reason. Yeah. He 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 views every like all twenty nine other teams like perfectly, and I love his his view. But when it comes to the Celtics, <laughs> it's just like whoa! What, every did he every just team's think? just always looking to get on those yeah. Celtics assets. Like, uh, what team wouldn't want Jalen Brown for a top two pick? Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, we love him, but man, when it comes yeah. to the Celtics, you just have to be be careful with what he says. Anyways, let's go back to this this list i mean Kyrie. like i think you could make the argument that he's better than draymond if you're going to start a franchise the fact i mean i i want to see draymond on a team 
that's just okay. Like if you put him on Phoenix, like I want to know is he actually no. that good? I, I don't know if he would be. I don't know if he Part would of be. Part me wants Steph to like, and he won't, but like to leave and go to Charlotte or something when his contract's up, like just shake things up. Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? Or even that, I mean, Kyrie is uh, another uh, interesting point that was made on that True Hoop podcast I was talking about. Kyrie signed. He's the only player on the Cavs roster who signed his extension before LeBron showed up. So, like, he signed under the pretense of this is my team for the future. And, you know, lo and behold, a couple months later, LeBron's there. And it's like, you know, what, he's only going to be, like, 27 when his contract is up. Well, the new CBA bargaining agreement, I think, is going to make that really hard because he'd be leaving about $70 million on the table. I don't know if he's going to qualify for the Supermax, though. I don't think he will. He'll what? have the service, but, like, he's never made an All-NBA team, has he? Curry? Oh, oh, sorry, oh, I'm not Curry, talking about yeah. Draymond. Curry. I'm sorry. talking about Kyrie. <laughs> oh, Kyrie. <laughs> All right, we're completely off, <laughs> off topic here. Yeah, well, Kyrie that is going to was probably get... really confusing if you thought I was talking oh, about Draymond. Yeah. He signed before LeBron came. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, my fault there. I, I know it's it's going to be hard to for some of these guys to leave that are, yeah. that are the worldly talents, but I, the thing about Kyrie where I'm fine slotting him behind Draymond, and mm-hmm. you could even – make an argument to me that he could be behind love under under more love traditional circumstances so so, so good right year. because of his defense but the thing about Kyrie that where I really get hesitant about starting my own franchise with mm-hmm. him is that he they did that they literally did that with Cleveland right. after LeBron left that's what it was they started the franchise with Kyrie and tried to rebuild and it did not work it yep. failed miserably yep so um I want to ask you about the CBA like we're neither of us are CBA experts that's something that like I spend my off season kind of thinking about and like I've tried hard to like really understand what's going on basically the the big news that's come out of it other than you know the roster expansions and the d-league stuff which I think is great although the d-league thing we'll we'll table that for now but I think there's some interesting points that'll come up with that um but the big thing is like you know is this new supermax or whatever you want to call it where you know basically players can qualify by making I think you could put there's like postseason awards like if you're the defensive player of the year MVP obviously um you know all-NBA teams, which go hand-in-hand with those awards. Basically, if you have enough service time and you've met certain performance incentives, you can qualify for this big contract. And the whole point is teams keeping their superstars and kind of – I don't think it's necessarily to take leverage away from those superstars, but I think it's just – That's what it turned into. Yeah, it's kind of what it is, for certain guys at least. Um, It's interesting to me. Like, Do you you like the concept as a a basketball fan of – you know, guys playing most of their prime in one city, or is there some, there's kind of fun to see players move around a little bit, right? Yeah, this is tough. And you know what? My opinion on this has wavered often. Over it's the case last... by case, right? It's like, it's case you're a Thunder by case. guy. Like, obviously, if, you, if it would help keep Durant, then it's great. Yeah. I mean, my, my Thunder blinders, uh, are, are certainly there. And it's hard not to avoid that. Like, I, I'd love for Russ to stay. I'd love for Katie to stay. And, but you know what? There's another huge part of me that says, get Paul George out of Indiana. I right, want to say he can play for the Lakers. So, or, or, or anybody, you know, like, or the Knicks or something like that. I want to see Paul George in a big market because uh, I think, you know, a big market would benefit by yeah. uh, having a, a star like him. And I also think that he would play even better. I mean, the fact that he gets himself up to play these little Detroit versus Pacer matchups at – uh, you know, like 6 p.m. Central when there's like hardly anybody in the stands right. and he's still playing so well. Like I want to see him prime time uh, going up and playing some big games and whatnot. So yeah. uh, it's a case-by-case basis. You're, you're incredibly right about that. But the thing is that it's 
it's really interesting to see where people get drafted now because if you do pan out and you are really good, yeah. you might as well, you know, you're going to be in that town for a very long time. Well, that's the other thing. I forget who it was that brought this up, but it might have been Simmons. Win, you know, it was Windhorse and Lowe. They they recently talked about, um, you know. Oh, no, you're right. Yeah, it was. Windhorse and Lowe. Yeah, about the all of a sudden, like, you, you think there might be – was it Lowe that was saying there's concerns about, like – you know, guys know, all right, if I'm going to play here yeah, for, hold yeah, out, it's like, yeah. I could, that seems totally conceivable to me that, like, Ben Simmons, like, basically tried to do that this year without this new CBA. Like, if you're somebody, like, I don't know, if you're one of those guys who has AAU coaches and uncles and dads and college guys in your ear all the time, you know, your whole decision-making group, like a lot of these guys seem to have, um, and the Timberwolves have the number one pick, or you're from South Florida and the Raptors have the number one pick, you know, I think there's a little bit more incentive now to, to kind of try to control where you go because you might not have that power, at least, you know, money-wise, or you're leaving, like you said, $70 million on the table or whatever. You well, might not have that power until you're, like, 30 years old. Yeah, yeah, 14 years. I mean, like, get ready. You're going to be there 14 years, essentially. And, and that's, like, that just creates these weird dynamics where, like, if you're if a Sacramento situation develops where, like, it right. just gets to the point that your, your front office and your coaches and your GMs and whoever just, like, can't put a competent – you know, organization together, like you're kind of stuck. So this, that's what I've been thinking about. And, and a good cross sport comparison for this is there's going to be a whole lot of Eli Manning situations where wasn't he drafted by the chargers or somebody said, you know, I'm not playing for you, blah, blah, blah. Right. Him River basically swapped on yeah. Him and River swapped. I, I forget what it is. He but went one to the chargers. Rivers went four to the giants and they the, basically the chargers, I believe leveraged it. And they're like, we know you want this guy. We're going to take him, and now we'll give him to you, but you have to give us another pick. Right, and that's because Eli was so salty right. about where he was headed. But there's going to be a lot of that in the NBA, and you're you're incredibly right to bring up the Kings because that's where this is going to be an issue, where you have these you know guys that could potentially think they're going to materialize into elite level players. Um, so we're talking Kevin Durant's, Chris Paul's, Steph Curry's, yeah, um, like that, like that big, and that in this class we're going to see some of that. Um, then you don't want to spend 14 years in Sacramento, right. and and who could blame you? And here's the thing that I was wondering about it, like this hypothought. This is so I'm such an NBA nerd that I was thinking about this going to sleep last night. Do you think if uh, like who's the top prospect? Like Fultz, right? Yeah. So if Fultz was going to be drafted, he was drafted by the Kings, and Fultz said, "I'll come play for you guys, but you have to fire Vladi. Like you have to just clean I house at the front office." Like that, I yeah. think that there would actually be a situation where. Uh, an un- incoming rookie could just clean house of a front office, right. like, like in a situation like that, because you want Fultz, you don't want him to be unhappy, you don't want him to take right. extra measures to to go to another team, however that may happen. So well, you might have like, some some interesting scenarios pop up over the next, well, until infinity, right. until the next collective bar- you're bargaining. You're basically agreement. punishing the elite players if they're not happy in their situation. And the thing is, we have to keep emphasizing, like teams can't just hand these out. Like you have to qualify for them, you know. So it's like. I think for rookies, you have to have a lot of confidence in yourself to say, like, I'm going to be an all-NBA player X number of times and qualify for this. But, like, yeah. that's how those guys think. You know, if you're an elite prospect, you mm-hmm. kind of have to have that mindset. Um, and, and, yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, if like, is there going to be a situation where a guy needs to make the all-NBA team so his team can offer him the Supermax so he, like, tanks the last month so they can offer it to him and he's not leaving money on the table? Oh, like, my gosh. Basically, you're penalizing him. And that would be, you know, that's an extreme hypothetical and players I don't think would – damage their own financial worth for things like that but you're basically saying like you can leave sure that's still legal it's not like we're forcing you to stay here but we're basically offering you an extra x million dollars that this team can't and like i don't love that 
the the NBA doesn't have this, but you know other sports have traditionally had this, and players have fought it vehemently. Right, is like franchise tags, mm-hmm. um, where essentially a player is is beholden to the organization regardless of what they want. So somebody like again a cross sport reference for this is Kirk Cousins. They could just keep putting the franchise tag mm-hmm. on him, have him make twenty million dollars, and he can never go. Act, he can never go test the market. I think you can only do it twice in a row. Okay, so that that but makes like, a little more be, sense. That would be like so, basically like indentured servitude. Yeah, they would just keep doing that. But that's kind of what you have with the NBA. Like, right. this is as close to a franchise tag as you're ever well, going to get. And, like, it's so easy for us to say, like, all right, you're in the NBA. Like, you shouldn't be complaining if you have to go play in that, you know, the horrible city of, like, Phoenix. You right. Know? Like, yeah. it's like a, they're all pretty great. Like, Milwaukee is a pretty cool city. I, I, we can vouch for that. Um, but, yeah, when you're drafted to a team and you really don't necessarily have that much of a choice – then it becomes a kind of a, a point of contention, and I can I can empathize with the players there a little bit because you, you really don't control it. I understand that you go to the city thing, but it's not as much of a city thing for me as it's I'm going to be stuck in this Kings organization yeah. where people have labeled it basketball hell, and I know that potentially the first seven years of my career are just you might as well toss them away, and that I'm going to ruin half of my NBA career before things could even turn yeah. around. And so it's it's not even a city thing to me. It's just do I do right. I want to work with these people? For you know, seven, ten, fourteen years. I mean, yeah. it's tough. So you could definitely see rookies hold out, and we could see some, you know, some frowny faces at the and at the yeah. NBA draft. I, I'm, sh- I certainly think we yeah. can. It's just like the the days of like these huge free agency decisions. Like these last few summers, if you're an NBA nerd, have been awesome. Like tracking Durant and tracking Dan mm-hmm. Gilbert's plane and things like that. Like that's been cool. <laughs> like those days is like there might the biggest free agents might be like B listers now. You know, which which is fine. Um, but you know, because there's only a, so many players in the league that will qualify for this, and it's really not right. Be that Again, bad. we're talking about less than one percent right. of the league, or something like that. Yeah, or like 1%. I said, like, like players like on the level of Kyrie, like as of now, like wouldn't be eligible, which is crazy because like Kyrie's awesome. So like there's st- there's still only like the top you know two percent of players are really going to be eligible for this. Yeah, but that, again, that's that's the face of the NBA. Yeah. That's what the NBA markets most, and so we care about it perhaps mm-hmm. far more than any other free agency okay. that could happen. Real quickly, before we get into the next stuff, going to pull from another podcast. I listen to a lot of podcasts. This, this is just Basically, like... That's, what I want to say is I listen to a lot of podcasts. I drove home, you know, to and from Madison, you know, twice, and then all the way to Iowa and back. So that's, that's a lot of time in the car. So I basically just listened to every possible basketball podcast. Simmons and House uh, on the Bill Simmons podcast last week were, were hot on the idea of mellow for Blake. And this is something that I I remember talking about with James, like, back at the Combine, I think. And back then, I was like, no way. Like, if you're the Clippers, no way. Blake Griffin is way better. He's younger. He's just a better player. Now, like, the injuries are starting to pile up. Um, he's a free agent, things like that. Like, would you flip Griffin, who's the better player, but is more injured, for Melo, who's older, but is under more control? And you also say, like, I don't know, like, can Melo play with other stars? Like, if there's a star you could play with, it's Chris Paul because they're really good friends. I feel like that has that has some merit here. Here's the issue for here's the issue here for me and the mental block that I think for a lot of us um, when we analyze this question. Let's look at an individual player team situation, right? So a lot of us have been talking about Blake Griffin leaving the Clippers just because perhaps it's not you're not maximizing each of those stars' potential. There could potentially be better fits, right? So we've been talking about that. We've also been talking about Carmelo Anthony perhaps leaving, joining, and teaming forces with you know a Chris Paul type or a LeBron James type, or just leaving New York because they need to move on. That organization needs to start focusing on how to form a team around Porzingis and stop 
forming a team around Carmelo Anthony. So those individual cases we've talked about quite a bit, and so we're kind of crossing these paths and doing the Venn diagram, and I think everyone's getting too caught up in we've been talking about these players moving. Oh, let's let's talk about them moving to each other's destinations, and I don't ne- know necessarily that that's going to be a fit, and I think a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, it, it would be really interesting to see that, but I think it's just because we want to see both of those tr- players on different teams, right. not necessarily that they should go to the opposing teams themselves. Yeah, I think it would just kind of be like uh, if you're the Clippers, you know, just, well, what we have now isn't working. Like on paper, we might not be much better, but like who knows? What if, you know, what if this is like a resurgent mellow? Like if we're getting close to peak mellow, all you know, that looks really dangerous as as your primary score, which this team doesn't really have right now. Like Blake is that when he's healthy, but he also doesn't have the, the one-on-one game that mellow does. Um, and it, it would be interesting, you know, like I don't think you want to go up against a Chris Paul, Carmelo Anthony, DeAndre Jordan, you know, top three in the playoffs. But to me, like Blake Griffin for Anthony, like you're just as dangerous. Yeah, with all that that I just said, if you actually do look at it and you, and you put each player yeah. on each team, I think that the Clippers could be just as good because essentially Blake Griffin has tried to mold himself into a mid-range shooter anyway. You yeah. might as well get one of the better mid-range shooters in the NBA in Carmelo Anthony and just do it right. Like yeah. if you're going to try to turn him away and him, he's not going to take as many shots at the rim, like what he took – like a third of his shots came at the rim or his makes, and now mm-hmm. it's only an eighth for whatever reason. Blake Griffin, yeah. that is. Well, his um, dunks too have gone way down. Yeah, I think it's his. Yeah, I think like a third of his shots came from dunks in his first year in the NBA, yeah. which is just. I mean, part of that is like that's a that's crazy insane. High rate. But it shouldn't fall down to an eighth of his shots no. are dunks now, right? And so he's tried to mold himself into essentially like a Carmelo Anthony type and Carmelo Anthony is just going to be way better if that's what you're trying to get out of the power forward spot. So yeah. from that point, I get it. What I don't get is sure. Blake Griffin, has more years and he's more interesting now moving forward than Carmelo Anthony is. Right. But yes. who the heck thinks that Griffin and Porzingis are going to be a good combo together? I mean, those are, we want those guys to be power forwards. Right. I mean, it just seems yeah. like, like a Portland trailblazers, but the, right. like the, the That's flip the thing. of it, it's like New York, if you're going to trade mellow and mellow has no trade clause. So like he would have to sign off on anything anyway. Um, like, I don't know if you'd want that rental because like the fact that Blake can leave is, you know, interesting. And, you know, with all the injuries, it's like, do you really want to make this guy your guy? Like to me, I think I still would because he's so good when he's healthy. Um, but he's missed a lot of time. And it, if you're the Clippers, I think this is something that would be, very, very interesting. Probably more as a hypothetical. I don't think it's going to happen, um, but it's you know it's been floated. Uh, when we get done with the pod here, maybe check on Twitter if I do this or not uh, at some point on this Wednesday night. Three-team trade, all right? Yeah. Everybody gets what they want. Portland Trailblazers, um, Los Angeles Clippers, and the Knicks. Make sure everybody has a good guard and a good front court player, and let's move on. So essentially, you know, Trailblazers could end up with – Damian Lillard and Blake Griffin. The Knicks mm-hmm. could end up with Porzingis and McCollum. Clippers could have Carmelo Anthony and Chris Paul. I mean, that there you go. I think all three teams might get better after that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't like. What do the Knicks want exactly? Because like, they're yeah, right. The, that's they're the, the best playoff. question. Like, the yeah. other thing is like the leverage for the Knicks or the reasoning for the Knicks to make a move like isn't necessarily there right now. It's like you know they're as popular as ever. Like they have they have like their future future guy in Porzingis. Like you're you're probably not getting a better piece than that. Um, obviously, you could get someone whose prime lines up way, way better with Porzingis than Melo's does. Um, but I don't think they're in like this huge rush to trade Melo because things by like recent Knicks standards are going pretty well. That's fair, but I mean 
are still not competing for championships, and I don't no. feel like they're competing. Like I feel like the Bucks are off to a better start towards competing for championships over the next oh, few yeah. years than the Knicks are. How crazy is that, by the way? Like the perception of the Bucks now compared to like a month and a half ago is uh, it's night and day. It's crazy. Well, you know, time. I mean, these are, it's a young team, and we really the one thing we didn't do with that Bucks team is give them time to mature. Right. Jabari Parker, what this is his like second, third year in the league. Giannis second or third. Chris Middleton is just coming into his own as a better player in the NBA and he hasn't even played yet so uh we were just too quick and we're too quick right now with the Minnesota Timberwolves as well we're not affording them the luxury of of time to mature and grow together there's nothing wrong with the Timberwolves right now they're just figuring it out they're all young new coach just give them some time let's take a step back you know collectively as like an NBA community we, we took a step back from the Bucks this year and and what do you know they're starting to get better they're maturing because they've had more time to to be cohesive and, and that's going to happen with the Timberwolves as well. So is it surprising? Sure, um, because there was like a little weird gap year and a half where things didn't, you know, but nothing is linear. Progress is not going to li- be linear um, when it comes to meshing and injuries and, and different types of factors in the NBA, coaching changes and whatnot. Okay. Um, most disappointing players this season for you? Just give give me a couple. Nikola Jokic obviously was probably the best answer to this question four weeks ago. Right now, you know, everybody can breathe a sigh of relief. Uh, Things are coming back. Uh, The dark horse candidate for me in the whole NBA is Nikola Mirotic. Considering how badly the Bulls needed a three-point shooting, and he's just not even really playing, and some nights he's completely left out of the rotation, he might be the guy for me, and obviously you can shed some blame on Doug McDermott there too, but it seemed like Miritich was maybe the, the guy more more better suited to come into that starting five and make a difference right away. The fact that they have like five non-three-point shooters in their lineup by going with Taj Gibson and not Miritich really says a lot. Derek Williams is somebody who we thought we was going to start for Miami. He was like a DNP CD for the first, you know, first chunk of the season. Uh, Solomon Hill, Buddy Heald, also very, very good answers. And then the sad ones for me, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, Chandler Parsons. I mean, what can you say about that? But disappointing nonetheless, I know. I think I do think they're going to get something out of Parsons. Um, I mean, he's been back now. I, I don't think he played last night on a back-to-back, but he'll. He, I think he's going to gradually work his way in and be a factor for them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Miritich is an interesting one, like, I feel like maybe we jumped the gun on him a little bit because like he was he was so good as a rookie, and and part of it is you know he's a little older he'd been playing professionally in Europe for a while he was a little more ready, um, but yeah I mean he's he's just had a weird kind of arc these last couple years, healed been better lately I feel like we should do that I've, we've trashed him a lot on this podcast but in the last month you know he's averaging ten points per game he's shooting forty eight percent from three on four or four plus attempts per game which is really really good. Uh, so he's actually turned things around, and he's, he's still having kind of weird changes in, in role, I guess, night to night. You know, he'll play 17 minutes one night, play 13 the next, and then play 34 the, the night after. So, I mean, Buddy Hill is probably top five in the Rookie of the Year voting right now, which, wow. yeah, I was talking to James about that earlier today. Like, it is rough. Like, Ben Simmons might play zero games and could finish, like, fourth in the voting. Yeah, we talked about that. We had a whole podcast on yeah. could he win, could he, you know, could he challenge Joel Embiid. Uh, since Buddy Buddy Heald had that homecoming to the Oklahoma City metro area against Oklahoma City on December 4th, like you said. He's been good. Yeah, he's been shooting 41.6%. And, and the biggest point for him that obviously it's been disappointing because he had 
the route to major minutes, right? right? Maybe the most minutes out of any rookie. The thing for him that I think everyone needs to realize and take a chill pill, if you will, is that he played four years in college. And those first two and a half seasons, he wasn't that good in college. Yeah. He was not a highly touted recruit. And, and when he was young in college, he wasn't. It took him four years to really understand college basketball and figure out his way to assert uh, his own game into college basketball, why wouldn't the same thing need to happen in the mm-hmm. NBA where traditionally that jump has been much bigger than high school yeah. to college? Yeah, I think we overestimated a few guys in this class, and it's still early, but returns are not great. Paul George, I think, is yeah. a dark horse guy here. I mean, like he's, he hasn't been bad. Like You can't really be disappointed in Paul George when he's averaging like 21 and 7, but still, I mean, like, the numbers are down across the board. He's been a little bit more efficient as a shooter, but part of that was he shot only like 42% last year, which was really low. He's down a bit from three. Uh, the Pacers obviously aren't as explosive as a team as, as we expected. He just kind of seems like he might have plateaued, and then you look back and it's like, okay, yeah, he did like snap his leg in half like a couple years ago. Like I, I do wonder if like what that means as far as like his overall ceiling. Like, Did he lose a little bit there? He's still been awesome, and like given the circumstances, you can't ask for more, but – he hasn't really gotten all that much better. I almost wrote his no- name down on the disappointing players, and I thought you were going to chastise me for it no. and just kind of lambaste I mean, me. But I'm, So I'm glad you brought it up. Here's, here's what it is for me. Uh, back when he was really good, I don't really remember much of his supporting cast, whereas now Jeff Teague, who's been on fire, he's been taking touches from Paul George. And you're also trying to get Miles Turner incorporated into the offense, get him in the NBA game. There's some touches. And whenever Paul George, I don't know the minutes, and Al Jefferson are on the court, usually when Al Jefferson is on the court, they feed him the ball down low. So it might just be a weird system right now where it equates to Paul George not getting as many touches Mm -hmm. as he has in the past. That doesn't mean he's any less of a player. But you're right. If you drafted him in the first round of of fantasy leagues or something like that, you're very disappointed. If you look at his price on like FanDuel, I think he's down to 7,500, which in terms of DFS, like that's... I mean, that really says a lot about a player, an elite player that was so highly regarded in terms of just putting up production. And we haven't seen him just Mm -hmm. put up those stats this year like we have in years past. Yeah, usage is down uh, about three points, Um, you know, was was around 30 last year, around 27 this year. So not, you know, drastic. His true shooting is, is actually a little bit up from last year, but PER of 18, like that's that's really low for I mean, like 15 is league average. Um, and like getting, you know, getting 18 is certainly nothing to be like ashamed of, but for a guy like Paul George, like that's, that's really low. Um, so yeah, it's just, just kind of an interesting year for him. Uh, although I will say he's never been a PER monster. I mean, his best PER was last year and that was only 20.9. Um, so there's that. I don't know. I, I, I think I would hesitate to call him a true disappointment, but relative to expectations, I think it's fair to include him. Uh, what about the other side of the coin? You know, guys who have surprised you. Avery Bradley is obvious. He's been awesome. Uh, George Hill, when he's on the court, has been really good. DeRozan, uh, of course. Um, And you have Embiid here. Yeah, why not? Nobody thought he was going to be this good. I mean, he's the runaway favorite for Rookie of the Year. I don't care that he's playing every other game. Nobody thought he was going to be this good. He played one year at Kansas, and he didn't even play a whole lot of games, right? And he played alongside Wiggins. Nobody really knew what type of basketball player he'd even mature into, and especially what type of NBA player he'd mature into. I think that if we're going to talk about most surprising when it comes down to just the pure definition, like who are literally you look at it and you're just like, what? No way. It's Joel Embiid, although the other guys you mentioned certainly are, mm-hmm. are good names. Uh, it, it's Embiid for me. I mean, it's, it's, it's hardly even close. 
I mean, it's there's two ways to look at it. Like if you if you went into the season assuming he's going to be healthy and look like the prospect that he was pre-draft two years ago, then this shouldn't be surprising, right? But no, I still think it would be even a little bit. That's I, I still know. think it would be a little bit surprising. He hadn't played basketball that much. And yeah. Oh I, no, I mean compared you know, to the, I didn't think he'd be this good at all or like this ready, you know, for NBA competition. But like people, I think if he never would have gotten hurt and just came in as a rookie and was doing this, like. You know, I mean, this is basically what we saw from Towns last year, maybe a, a slightly lesser degree. Um, and, like, that's the type of prospect he is. So, like, there's an argument to be made that he's, like, lived up to expectations as opposed to exceeding them. I guess that two-year stint really did something for me in terms of what I – or how I viewed him. Um, mm-hmm. Just all those gifts of him just dunking on nobody. Right. The, the I really defender. thought he was going to struggle, and there would be, like, some sort of health setback. And, like, please, please, God, don't let that happen. Right, his first game, his first NBA game against the Thunder, who have a pretty good front court defense, twenty and seven yeah. on twenty two minutes. His per minute production is just it is surprising to me, and it is the most surprising thing perhaps of the NBA season. Another name that I think, um, if we had this discussion a month ago, he would not have been on the list, but he is today. Nick Young, Nick Young is playing very, very good and mm-hmm. helping uh, stretch out the court. Um, pl- basically played his way into the fact that he'll probably going to decline his player option that he almost certainly was going to take at the beginning of this year as somebody at the very yep. end of the Lakers bench. But now he's, you know, he's he's gobbling up minutes. I still and, wonder and producing. about him. Like I don't like what yeah. team. What team could you be like? You know what they could use is Nick Young. I don't know. I like there are certain spots like I feel like L A is just such a like this team is just perfect for him. Like he's he's not good enough to like play really big minutes for a contender. But, like, he's also good enough that you don't want him just, like, firing away for the Sixers, you know? Like, this is just the perfect team for him where, like, there are really no expectations. He can just kind of do what he wants, uh, pick his spots, and he's done that really well. He used to fire away for the Sixers before he got to the Lakers. Uh, Toronto off the bench, six-man off the bench. I mean, do you think that... Cleveland, I think, would like that's, to have him as well, a like a, a essentially a J.R. Smith, another J.R. Smith. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say is, like, can he – could someone – Turn him into a J.R. Smith, where I mean, think of where J.R. Smith's reputation was. A he year ago. he is. I think J.R. Smith and Nick Young are incredibly comparable. I think they might be I, two of the most comparable players in the NBA in terms of what yeah. they get. If if Nick Young had been playing in this role of J.R. Smith's role, I I don't think there would have been a whole lot of difference. Like maybe. Well, I mean, the big thing with him is like that the attitude or the personality. Yeah, J.R. Smith too. I, right, I think if like, you're on a winning team and you're doing and you have a leader like LeBron, I think Nick Young will play perfectly yeah. fine. And yeah, that's what I mean. Like, imagine like Nick Young as the Warriors, like eighth man. You know, like that's that's a pretty scary scenario. Yeah, I mean, he did. He's always played kind of a lesser role on whatever team he's yeah. been on. I well, mean, even back is, when he was on Philly, he wasn't like the go-to guy. I mean, by would any a team means. would like the Nets off like you know throw money at him to be their starting two guard? No. Like, if, I don't know. Like, I, think of the money they were throwing at like Tyler Johnson and Alan Crabb. Like, I mean, Nick Young's not that far from those guys. Well, the funny thing here is that I think he he fits way better into a limited minutes off the bench yeah. than he would in a major starting shooting guard role. But he also is not somebody who will play any differently if you're winning or losing. You know, like I think he'd be totally fine being in Orlando and winning twenty seven yeah. games as long as he starts and plays thirty minutes. Like <laughs> you're right. You're which right. Is a good that. and bad quality. But I, guess, I think so. he certainly has to be trade fodder, right? Yeah. I mean he he has to be. He I mean he has a player option next year that he's gonna most likely opt out of for, so even if people want to do a salary dump. Yeah. I still think the long term plan for the Lakers sure Toronto, as heck does not involve Nick Young. So. Toronto's interesting. Like if, if you're talking about a team that would want to rent him. 
Yeah, he, he'd be I mean, Lou Williams. I mean, he's playing better weird. than Lou. The, the actual Lou Williams is playing right now. So it's, yeah, it's hard to say there's a team that couldn't use him. It's like it's just like a matter of how confident is the team that they can like get the version of Nick Young that they want. Yeah, oh, Lou Williams is actually playing pretty good. You know, he's, he's somebody be, who I threw out there as a trade bait too. He's like locked up the Sixth Man of the Year award already. Right. I don't know who else it would be. Um. Not Brandon Knight. That's one that you never think of, and then at the end of the year, there's always like only three candidates. It's like, oh, well, Lou Williams, Jamal Crawford. No, you know, else. you know who I think should win it? Eric Gordon. I could, I could be talked into that. Yeah, I know you could. I love Eric Gordon. Uh, Zach Randolph. Yeah, he'll have a shot. I yeah. So to answer your question pretty bluntly, no, I don't think Lou Williams is locked up six man of the year. I don't even know how how you win six man of the year. That's the the that's one of the just the weirdest awards. Yeah, it's it's like who scores the most points coming off the bench. Basically. Yeah, that's one that, where like that's record, what it is. Team record never seems to matter. It's just yeah, it's just like sort by right. points per game and points who per game who does start. not start. Yeah, are you? Is there like a threshold of games that you have to not start? You know, like can you if you've started like more than five games, are you ineligible? I don't know. Uh, there has to be right. There has to be some parameters think, yeah. for this. You would almost certainly think. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's a tough one. Um, it could always come from a team like Denver or, or the Celtics who like have all these like pretty good players coming off the bench. Like Wilson Chandler, if he like keeps us up, has been pretty good. You're right. That is that is a pretty good option. If if the Nuggets get to the A seed and, yeah. and make the playoffs, then then certainly I think Eric Gordon is. I mean, if we're talking about the third best player in the West and he's playing heavy minutes off the bench and scoring a lot of points, Gordon Gordon would be the guy for me to win Sixth Man of the Year because Lou Williams has been really good. I think he's he's actually should be traded to a contender because I think he's playing that good that a team views him as a major yeah. help off the bench. He's had a weird career, but you know this award is just like any other award. Pick the best player in this whatever role it is. So. Yeah, I'm trying to look like where do you think Eric Gordon ranks like on the Rockets? Like is he their third best player? It's anywhere from two to five. He's their fourth best player behind James Harden. Trevor Reza is the second best player on the Rockets. So Ryan Anderson is the third, and then I would go with Eric Gordon. And then what you about Capella though? It's like PER wise, it's Harden, Capella, Gordon. I think Capella and Beverly are, are somewhat of a toss up, and I'm going to give it to Capella just because if we go back to that Warriors game that that the Rockets won, Beverly was off the court, and they were using mm-hmm. Gordon um, as a scoring presence. So. Uh, I think Beverly yeah. and Capella basically play the same role on this team. The the numbers happen to bear out that Capella is doing better, but I, you know, Gordon I, I, Gordon is eighth in win shares per forty eight among regular players overall in the NBA. No, uh, on oh, the on, on the Rockets. And that's you know, a lot of these are pretty negligible. It's like Harden's you know a full percentage point above everybody. Again, I think Sixth Man of the Year is the like the one award where you look at points per game. Mm-hmm. again like you said and you sort it like that and that's kind of what it yeah. comes down to and i think gordon lou williams and gordon's gonna get the tie because he's playing on the third yeah. best team in the i Western mean Conference. per 36 gordon's having like a vintage year by his standards you know 42 percent from three well that that's how crazy three, this three. award is that you yeah. move him to the bench he plays just as good as he ever has and yeah. he wins an award it's for just it. like who should be starting but their team just doesn't quite have it <laughs> yeah. work like that yeah yeah denver nuggets again with wilson chandler is another good Another w- good one. Uh, Will Barton, if he you know keeps playing, he was hurt to begin the year, but he's a solid option. I feel bad for him. He's making like one-eighth of the money that he should be making. Yeah, but he has the role to suit the contract. That's the funny thing. 
he's somebody that I think teams like every team would want to add Will Barton, and like he's so absorbable. Like what team could like he's basically on a minimum deal. Like almost any team you'd think could bring him. Like the Cavs have a like a nine million dollar trade exception. That would be no problem there. Um, and he's, he's on just, a three year, uh, ten point five million dollar contract which is like that's just an absurdly low it's like a hockey contract he signed it in july of 2015 so that's going to go through 2018 it was low then even (laughs) like i don't know what he's like the worst agent of all time like again nuggets make a trade we're waiting that dude would have maybe gotten what like 80 million well the weird thing is that the trailblazers gave up on him in theory for a reason like they never felt they felt that crab was a better option than will barton was they gave the money to crab yeah. and not barton they could have had barton stick around uh i i mean okay. there's something there millions way too much i was I'm looking at other guys who signed that would be way way too much but like i don't know like somebody would have done like four for 50 like yeah. jeremy lynn is getting is making 12 mil a year will, Bar- will barton's better than tyler johnson yeah and so like, there you go offered a lot a ton. Yeah, what was that? Absolute. By the Nets, right? Yeah. $50 million offer sheet. Yeah, it's like he easily gets that. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And come on, Denver. We're just waiting. Yeah. Yeah, are you disappointed that no trades ended up coming down on whatever, whatever day that was when it was <laughs> what, the 17th or well, something? Well, I'm glad you tempered my expectations, but just just waking like, up know, every man. morning, like checking my phone, thinking that it's a possibility has really been a boost in my life life quality. Yeah. So It is fun, though, when those, that first trade happens. In the last couple of years, there's always seemed to have been one like a month or two before the deadline. Let's end on this. Are you going to be disappointed or pleasantly surprised the minute after the trade deadline is over. Actually, let me say two hours after because there's some lingering trades and whatnot. Do you yeah, think you're going to be? Worry about the time, do you like, think you're going to be pleasantly surprised or disappointed? Yeah. Um, As we, you know, we've been talking about this deadline. Remember, we had conversations last year about how this was the time. By this time, we knew that the Sixers were going to make a trade, and yeah. so this has been a deadline we've talked about for really two years, not just this season, but two years now. So February twenty third is the trade deadline that's a good question 2 p.m central time it'll probably be i don't know what day of the week that is but hopefully that's a a mexican restaurant day so to be checking the phones i think i will be disappointed because i'm typically a pessimist in these situations and like i just obviously we want mass chaos right like you want as many big names moving around just for the fun of it. Yeah, when I say pleasantly surprised, I mean chaos. Yeah, that would be the that would that's what would make me pleasantly um, surprised. Yeah, I'm not talking um, about your rooting interest doing right. well. I'm talking about just players switching down. uniforms. Something'll happen. I mean What was the date again? 23rd. Of so that is a Thursday, so we will be yes. eating Mexican food when this trade that's deadline that's happens. Yeah. Um I don't know. It's just like there's if like Cousins doesn't get traded, like then what? You know, like what's the, what's the <laughs> other big one that we're, we're waiting on? Like, I don't know. I I think the fact that the Warriors look so good in one conference and the Cavs look so dominant in the other, you know, there's just that like, all right, let's just pack it in and play for next year or play for two years for now. And like, I don't like what team is like a player away. Like Toronto is like legitimately like the only team you could really make a case for. I guess the Clippers if you want, but like the Clippers have no assets to really trade unless they're getting rid of one of their big assets. Toronto's the only team that's like, okay, if they get player X, now we can talk. Maybe Boston, but to get player X, they're giving up, you know, players X, Y, and Z. So, like, I don't know. It, it, that's that's what it, what's interesting to me is, like, I just don't think there's that many moves out there that to change a team from pseudo-contender to real contender. I think I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. I agree with you. Is it 
within the realm of possibility that uh, you know, like a Wilson Chandler to Toronto happens, and that's yeah, the biggest deal. I think that's uh, you know, that's not a like, bad deal. What is Toronto giving up? That's what I don't understand. Yeah. These, these Toronto deals are all fun, but like they they just don't have anything. They're not giving up Lowry. They're not giving up DeRozan. Like, do you who think Valanciunas? I don't know. Do you think that they're delusional enough to say? Oh, we don't need to trade for a power forward because essentially we're getting Jared Selinger when he gets back and healthy. Like there's some belief there, I bet. Yeah, yeah. A couple years but, like, ago, they're Sam... also not a Selinger away. You know, like well, do so... they? Here's the. I I agree with you, but do they think that they're a Selinger away? Uh, a, like a legit, Maybe. not a legitimate three point shooter. Think, but... I think they're savvier than they, like Ujiri. I, I have faith in. Like I feel like he knows what's going on here. Like I don't think they're fooling themselves. Like. They know sure. they knew it was a six game series against the Cavs last year, but it, you know it didn't feel like a six game series. Although, I mean, they look better this year. We'll see. Cavs have injuries. Toronto really doesn't have injuries outside of the Sollinger thing, and you know it's Jared Sollinger. Um, right. So yeah, they're, they don't have to make a move, and they're only a, a game back. Yeah, I mean, if I'm out in Vegas at any point between now and the finals, I, I might throw a few uh, a few bucks on Toronto just because if. The thing about Toronto is they're not beating Golden State. Like, yeah. Toronto could get there and lose to Golden State. They would lose to San Antonio. They, probably, they might lose to the Clippers. No, I, I agree with you. But to get to the finals, like I, I don't like talking about this, but we have to be realists here. They're a LeBron James injury yep. away, a LeBron James severely sprained ankle away from Part making of me the finals. Feel like you know, like it's all right. He's made it this far with this unbelievable health. Like it, it would be. It'd be awful. It it'd be fun, not funny, but it'd be it'd be. It would definitely not be funny. It would not be funny. It'd be really uh, interesting to see how bad slash good this Cleveland team would be without LeBron James. Well, because, all it takes is just one. Like if he misses three games of a series, they're done. Yeah, you know he doesn't have to like tear his ACL. He just needs to like tweak his shoulder. The the list of Eastern Conference teams that could beat the Cavaliers in a seven game series without LeBron James is very long. It's like very long. 10? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very, very long. I mean, what are the Kyrie without LeBron is four and 14 or something, four and 12. Right. Like, and then, I mean, love has been great. He's been amazing. But again, we have pure evidence of him never being able to take a team to the playoffs and, and win meaningful yeah, games. I mean, that would just be, yeah. I mean, I think a first round series, like hypothetically the Cavs, if they get like Atlanta in round one, like, to me, that's like fifty-fifty. But like Love and Kyrie is your two. Like you know, maybe you get through there. But obviously, they're not. They wouldn't make the Eastern Conference Finals. They clearly would not make the finals without LeBron. No. Like this is this even a playoff team if LeBron doesn't play the entire regular season? Here we go. Now we're talking. I don't know. I don't think that's that's not a, a sure thing either way. I the funny thing here is that I I think you could argue over the last ten years that Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, respectively, each of them were two of the best players to play on such bad teams. Like, just... Love what, is, like, the power forward version of Kyrie. Right, exactly. Just, a, like, amazing offensive numbers, but when you yeah. look at their defensive numbers, it's this this guy is not helping a team win games, right? There are two, like, non-guys who are labeled, perhaps unfairly, as, like, non-winners. Like, great players who aren't winners, who have 
you know, played with. That's fair. No, here's the thing is that we have evidence yeah. of this, and, and that's why I keep coming back to it. I want to see Draymond Green on a team that does not have world-class shooters for him to dish out to yeah. and him to pass to. And, and so I'm wondering, you know, how many other of these players that are viewed, like, here's the best example, like Scottie Pippen. Like, how good would Scottie Pippen actually have been if he didn't have Michael Jordan next to him right. playing alongside, right? So, so, so those are the type of questions that I'd be super curious. But, uh, you know, in a roundabout way, the Cavaliers would be very, very, very much in trouble if they lost LeBron James. Mm-hmm. Do not think for a second that they would be able to salvage anything at all. No, I, I completely agree with you there. That'll wrap it up. Um, it's John Henson's birthday. Forgot to mention that. Um, it's also Mel Turpin's birthday, um, one of the unheralded members of the great 1984 draft class uh, that also included Hakeem, sure. Jordan, Perkins, Charles Barkley, Kevin Willis, John Stockton, and, of course, Sam Bowie, yeah. who, who went number two overall on that one. Uh, so happy birthday as well as RIP to Mel Turpin and happy birthday to John Henson. Happy birthday, John. They're going to kill the love of my life. If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday... Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.